This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello there, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. We are on episode 106, if you can believe it. I can't believe it. Every single time I see the number the number of episodes going up and the fact that we've actually made it, to 106. It blows my mind that a show about sexuality and disability has gone on for over two years and actually has these numbers of these number of episodes. So thank you for helping this show go. I really, really appreciate it. And I love that people actually listen to the stuff I put out, which is really nice. Speaking of people who listen to the stuff that I put out, I actually got my first two-star review the other day. Um, I was going through the reviews and just looking... And I kind of felt this weird tinge of honor when I got my first two-star review because most of my reviews have been four stars and up recently, which is super nice. I appreciate that. But it was kind of like, oh, someone genuinely doesn't like my show. That's cool. I mean, it's always nice to have dissenters. And why I loved this kind of two-star was because so many people, when when they realize it's disability content, they automatically give it a higher star because... Oh, the disabled guy did a thing. So I'm kind of really happy that somebody gave a two-star review and really told their truth, which is, you don't like my show, which is fine. Obviously, if you don't like the show, turn it off. That's cool. But thank you. (laughs) Thank you, reviewer, for letting me know your true feelings about Disability After Dark. In which case, if you love the show or hate the show, review the show in whatever way, especially on iTunes, because that gets the metrics up and that gets people knowing about the show. Even if you totally are listening and you hate the show with the vitriolic passion, that's cool. But uh, please leave a review so that the numbers get up either way. Um, Alright, let's get on to what the show is about today. So on today's episode, I'm doing an interview with a new friend of mine. Their name is Aspen Bennett, and they reached out to me a few months ago saying they wanted to come on the show and talk specifically about their experiences being a trans, non-binary individual with cerebral palsy. And I immediately connected to the story because I am somebody, as you all know, who lives with cerebral palsy myself, and I had never really encountered somebody who lived with CP who identified as trans and non-binary, and I wanted to learn from them and learn about their experiences as a trans non-binary identified person with CP. So this interview is really me learning about them. I don't, you don't hear me say too, too much. I ask a few questions, and we have a little bit of a chat. We talk about, about fetishization. We talk about uh, demisexuality and bisexuality a little bit. We talk about their identity and, and their dating life. We talk about the ickiness of dating men sometimes. A lot of things come through here in this interview, but it was a really fun chance for me to learn about somebody new and to learn about a different identity than mine. And that's what I love about doing interviews for this show is I get to learn about how sexuality and disability intersect in completely different ways from mine. And I got to say, as a white cisgender man with the privileges to speak well, I always am looking for ways to to not speak so much and to learn from others in the disability community about especially around sexuality and disability because I want to do my best to use my platform to elevate other voices and that's what this 
for me, that's what this interview really did. It was a fun, really fun one, and I was happy to do it. So, without further ado, here is my interview with my new friend, Aspen Bennett, right here on Disability After Dark. Aspen Bennett, hello. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for coming on Disability After Dark. You, this... This has been a long interview in the making because of the joys of disability. I've had to reschedule this with you now. For we've been talking about this, we've been talking about doing this for two months now, and so thank you yeah. so much for being so flexible. Anybody who is interviewed by me and who might have had me reschedule on them, the reasons are vastly because disability is fun and takes takes time and things happen. So thank you so much for being so flexible today. Um, I know who you are because I know why you're here, but why don't you introduce yourself and your pronouns and who you are to the audience? Yeah, uh, my name is Aspen Bennett. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs, and I'm just, you know, I don't know. I just feel like I'm your typical, like, NBB, just, like, trying to make art and trying to survive with a disability. Trying to to do all the things. Trying to do all the things. I think we've all been there, and I think it's interesting that you say that we, you know, we have to make art because so many disabled people feel like the only way they can create income and create, especially people who, who disabled sex positive people, the only way we can create income for ourselves is by creating art, whether it be a podcast, whether it be like, you know, art, physical art, like, but. Yeah, yeah, and I. I do a bit of it all because I do a little bit of drag, a little bit of DJing, and some photography. So, I do a lot of stuff. That's awesome. So, yeah. I I want one of the things that you immediately flagged when we started talking initially about doing the interview is you wanted to talk about the connection between your cerebral palsy and your trans identity, and I yeah. was really kind of interested in that because I am a person with CP. I don't identify as trans. I, I'm a cisgender person, but I, mm-hmm. I I'm curious because of my connection to CP, being a, being a CP embodied person. Tell me about how transness and NCP go together for you. Um. So it was really it was really weird for me because like for a really long time, like a really really long time, I did identify as a cisgender woman, and there was a lot of moments where I was like oh I don't think that's ever gonna change you know and then I started dating and like every girl that I would date because at that point I had come out as a lesbian um and every girl that I would date we would get six months into the relationship and they would go oh I'm a I'm a trans man (laughs) um so that happened to me like four or five times wow wow and and yeah Wow, so every every person you were dating would come out as trans at one point or the other. Yeah. Wow. And so after a while, you know, people were like, what is it with you? Like, do you just like dating trans dudes? Like, what's going on? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it wasn't like a specific thing, you know? Right. And so, and then after a while, I started being like, am I a girl? I really don't know. And What's funny is, like, one of my partners laughs at me all the time when I tell them that I thought I was for a really long time, and they just say, oh, honey, and shake their head. Um, and so for me, like, the connection between, like, being trans and being disabled, like, specifically having CP is, like, I, you've probably been through this. Like, I undergo a lot of, like, physical body dysphoria and dysmorphia that's directly connected to disability yep totally been there hi got the t-shirt did the thing took, <laughs> took the course yep totally there with you yeah so when you're having a lot of that dysphoria that's coming from you know i don't feel like my body looks looks right because I, this isn't how i see myself in my head um it took a while for me to sort of sort through that and realize that i was also having dysphoria from being trans wow that's you know that's i'm sure that's that's a ton to work through like like i understand disability disability why can't i speak today i understand disability dysphoria to a point 
But I think disability dysphoria with our bodies and body images because we've not been taught in any way. We're looking at our bodies through an ableist viewpoint. So we, yeah. we look at our bodies and we expect to see, oh, I look like just like that able-bodied person over there. I, right. just, I totally will. And really, that's not at all what's happening. But I, mm-hmm. I'm curious about how, like, how did the, how did you, how did you separate the trans dysphoria, like the 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 that identity of transness and then the identity of disability? How did you decide that you were definitely it was trans? How how did you discover that it wasn't just your oh I have a disability so I must be trans? So I th- I think like I said it came a lot from like dating people who were trans and and then like started to have suspicions of like maybe being trans just because like like you tend to date people who are like you right yeah. and so and so when people brought it up to me they're like why do you always date trans people and I was like I don't know I just feel I don't know I just feel comfortable like I feel like they get it to an extent and I just sort of like started rebelling against this idea of like having to be feminine like like historically feminine you know and just like realized that my gender like shifts like it's not a huge like it is a huge part of who I am but like I can be like a boy a girl or like no gender and still I feel like myself like I don't feel like all of the things that society imposes on us of how to be a boy and how to be a girl, like I don't feel like they apply. And, you know? And which is, I mean, that's such a cool way to be because so many of us, <coughs> myself included, are like pushed into binaries that we don't sometimes want to be in. Like I, I am super unfortunately tied to like this idea of masculinity that is not really real and mm-hmm. doesn't really match who I am sometimes and I sometimes I feel super femi and then I feel shame for feeling that way because I'm like right I'm supposed to be a dude and so do you like do you think that disability in your case CP do you think your CP had any kind of role in you becoming more free with your idea of gender politics um yeah probably I mean I think for a long time I was going back to that like feeling of like you look at an able-bodied person and you assume that that's what you look like too and then having to face the reality of like looking in the mirror and saying like I don't look like that you know and there's no reasonable expectation of like why I should have to look like that and sort of having the same feeling about being a girl (laughs) You know, like, there's no reason why I needed to be a girl. Like, the only reason that I was was because society said I was. Yeah. And, you know? And so, like, so, like, do you, so does it feel, do you feel like because of your disability that it's easier to slough all those, that forced identity off? Yeah, but I still struggle with it because, like, being non-binary and having dysphoria is really fucking weird. Yeah, you know? tell me what I I don't like, actually, I don't know too much, and so tell tell me more. Tell me, <laughs> like, tell me more about it's, that. So for me, it can shift. Like, I can have days where I'm like, yeah, my boobs are great. Like, I never want to get rid of these. These are awesome. And then, like, the next day, can literally just be like in tears because I don't want to have a chest and it's just like so frustrating and I think like one of the best things that I ever that ever happened to me was uh, moving to Salt Lake actually because there's like a huge queer community here um, nice and, I met, and I met my partners who are both non-binary and had sort of one of them had sort of done what I wanted to do you know like transitioned but was still wearing like femme clothing and doing those things and so that you, was really how I felt like who I was you know that's awesome and so your partner and so like seeing your partners doing that and being like I have so many questions now that I know you have like a number of partners I have like five more questions just came to my head <laughs> and one of them being like so how did you how do you how do you navigate your disability with each partner? Like, how did that? Tell me some of those conversations. I'm really curious to know. 
So, like, in terms of what specific? Just like you have a disability, and most people, whether they're gen, um, non-binary, gender, or gender non-conforming, most people uh, who encounter disability generally are like, "Oh no, you're disabled! What the fuck? Like, how do I manage this?" Like, I'm curious to yeah. know how you're when you kind of came out as disabled to your partners. How did they react? Well, you know, I didn't, well, firstly, I didn't really have to come out as disabled because I, I walk with a cane. And so it's very obvious, right? Awesome. Like, Things I didn't like, know before we started yeah. recording. And now I do. Awesome. Good. <laughs> yeah. So it's really hard. Like, I don't get the choice to hide it, you know? Yeah. And like, I remember uh, when I met one of my partners, I was the day that I went to meet them, like they knew I had a cane because I told them previous to meeting them. But when I met them, I was so nervous because I thought they were really cute that I like almost left. I've, like I saw them, almost like left. I've definitely been there. I've definitely done that. But like, oh, no, I don't want to be here. That's too scary. You're too hot. I... Yeah. So, but I didn't leave and it was, I'm glad I didn't leave because, yeah. Um... <laughs> But it was great because, like, they have previous history with, like, navigating having a partner with a disability. Um, and so I think for them it wasn't really that big of a deal because they'd already done it. Nice. And so, like, because I know usually I'm someone's first disabled person, so there's a lot of, like, fear of how to navigate that. And I don't date lots. I fuck around a lot, but I don't go on a lot of dates because I just don't have the energy for that stuff. So, like... Mm -hmm. Um, I really, I'm also curious because you're, you identify as bisexual, which is great. Yeah. I, hello. I think you're one of the first openly bisexual people that I've talked to on the show or somebody who's written bisexuality as part of their, what they want to talk about. So that's, I think that's great because we very rarely hear from bisexuals in media generally. And I'm happy to let all, all the bisexuals with disabilities who want to come on my show, come on my show. Um, but that's great. And I'm also really interested to know, Aspen, how, like, do you find as a bisexual person that, as a bisexual disabled person, that your disability is treated differently by the genders you date? The two different, or I, I don't want to say two because that feels like a binary again, but well, the, the different genders. So for me, like, so firstly, being bisexual for me, like a lot of people, it's a little bit misleading, right? Because bisexual is the easiest way you can tell people that you're attracted to more than one gender. Um, and I think if I really had to, like, break it down, like, in specifics, I would say that I was pansexual but biromantic, meaning that I am attracted to everyone, but I tend to only be romantically attracted to women and non-binary people. Awesome. Um, so, because uh, I've had just a lot of really bad experiences with men. Um, and so I don't date them anymore. <laughs> That's a good, I like that rule because uh, sometimes men are trash bags. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I tell people that identify as bisexual, but I guess technically it's pansexual and biromantic, but whatever. Um, you know, and I don't really, I mean, I've been dating non-binary people now for like the better part of a year. And so I don't really know if there's like a difference in the way that genders treat me because it's all been non-binary people. And that's like what I found is that they tend to be the most open about everything, including disability, because they're so open about gender. Yeah, because they've also had to go through similar struggles with who they are and kind of asserting who they are. And so, yeah, totally. I, I, yeah. I, I totally can see that. Um, uh, so I, I, you, and you also mentioned in, in your, uh, in, in the, in your, what is the word I want to say in your, in your podcast guest form, you mentioned that you are fetishized a lot. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like, how does that feel for you? And how does that come about? Cause I know how we all deal with being fetishized, but I want to, if you're comfortable, tell how you tell me oh, about yeah. your experience. So I think for me, like, it's really been, uh, it happens a lot with men. So this goes back to, like, my not wanting to date men, which is, which is not to say that there are not individual men that I would date, but, like, as a whole, I don't. Yeah. 
and, and a lot of it is because they tend to like so there's two approaches that happen and this usually happens on like dating sites you know and the first approach is the most common one where guys just come in and they go what's wrong with you right yeah I get that all the time been there or, or what what's your disability like immediately right off the bat they don't want to know they don't uh, no they don't way no way would they ask else. you like who you are and what you're like no. you, and what your favorite yeah. color is and who like what's your favorite right. song and like anything about you right because um, what they want to know what they really want to know is if you're still fuckable yep which is you know I feel like every disabled person should get a t-shirt at like 16 that's like that says I am so fuckable and they should be allowed to wear it whenever they want wherever they want so that nobody has to ask them those dumb questions yeah yeah and so that's the first one which normally if guys lead with uh, what's your disability like I just don't answer you know yeah I know no no I mean I'll answer if I think you're if I want to be selfish and I want to fuck you and I want to get what I want out of you, then for sure I'll answer. But do I care about? Yeah. Like, I don't care so much about what they, but but what they what they think. If I, if I if I think you're hot enough and I can make sure you're make sure that you're hot for like two hours, great, fine. But do I yeah, want to? Yeah, but see, so that's the thing for me is like I'm also demisexual, like under the AS umbrella kind of, and so for me, like it just got mentally and emotionally exhausting to try to fuck people that like just because they were hot yeah and because you have to put in well because you have to put in all the work to like to in to like basically curb their ableism and then what it's over and you're like oh well fuck i did all that work to make sure i'm okay and now it's done what no yeah it's not worth it to me it's not worth it to me so i don't tend to be attracted to people until i know them um which you know is you know nothing against people who like to have a lot of casual sex but for me that was not a good time so i stopped yeah that's me yeah. i'm 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 the first one i'm like ding 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 like i i want to get to know you but my experience with queer men who sleep with men or or male identified people who sleep with men is that they don't want to get to know me because of disability so i'm like fine suck my dick and i'll enjoy myself and then i guess it's, we're and then we're done right yeah um, but, oh, the fetishization, the, so the general, the first question. So the second, the second, um, uh, approach that they kind of take with me is the nice approach. And, and this is the one that gets me every time. Cause I always fall for it. Cause I want to believe that people are good. So like, what is, so like for you, I, and I think I know what you're saying, but what is the nice approach? The nice approach is where they come in and they get to know you a little bit. You know, they ask you a couple questions about yourself and then they sort of very gently say, I saw that you said you're disabled. Like, I don't mind at all, but tell me a little bit about it. You know, da, 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 da. And they play the whole, oh, that's, you know, you're great. And, and like, I think it's great. And then they move into like wanting to fuck you. And the, the last time this happened to me, this dude was way into me until he fucked me. And then after that, he was like, this was a great experience for me. I've never fucked a disabled girl before. Ah! And then. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and I have such a story about that. I have a st- I, I can I can match you. So I, I went on a date with a guy a few, a few months ago and we had burgers and had fries. And I'm, I've told this story before on the show, I'm sure. Uh, but. I had burgers and fries with the guy and we messed around. And then um, he told me afterwards, he's like, I think you're a little bit too disabled for me. Um, I think you're not as independent as I'd like you to be. Thank you for showing me what you what it could be like to be with a disabled person. And I was like, ew, oh no. Like, so I, I feel you there. And what does that even mean? Like not as independent as I'd want you to be like, fuck off. Like you don't know anything mm. about me. Yeah. Um, and that's one of those other things too is like whenever I'm out with my partners like that happens a lot um, in the sense of like I will walk away right to go to the bathroom or to go get a drink or whatever and random ass strangers have come up to both of my partners and been like oh it's just so sweet you're Uh. so nice the, wow. thing, the things that we hear all the time, like... And 
the the thing is is that people don't think that the relationships are reciprocal. Yeah. Right? People forget that like we can take care of people too and we can be the yeah. ones like maybe they should be looking at us and saying, Oh, it's so sweet you're taking care of like wouldn't it be awesome if somebody came up to us one day and was like, Oh, you're so sweet for fucking that able bodied person like You know. Well, and this is the interesting conversation that I had with my other partner like a few weeks ago where I said something about how I was fed up. I've been saying this for weeks, how I'm fed up with able-bodied people and I want to set them all on fire. Can I, can we, can I, can I join that club? Can we, uh, yeah. <laughs> can we start and a so, petition to do that, please? All the so ableists. And so my partner looked at me and goes, would you have dated me? Because I, it, the reason it came up was because we had just had a disability panel where this girl crashed it and decided to be like, you're just putting your shame like other people's shame on yourself and you have to let that go kind of like the the positive all the time like positivity movement people kind of thing yep gross i can't deal with it nope nope yeah and so i had said that i was just set up with able-bodied people and etc and and they um i said something about if she thinks i'm bitter now because she had said that she thought i was bitter and i said if she thinks i'm bitter now she should have seen me two years ago my partner was like well would you have dated me two years ago? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, why? And I was like, power move, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) And like, I don't admit that to people, you know? Because like the few times I've admitted that to people before, these able-bodied people that I've dated have kind of just been like, so are you using me? Like... And you know what? What if you were like? What if you were like? I, like this is the thing people forget about relationships. Don't we? Don't we use each other in relationships all the time? And, and I don't mean in a toxic yeah. way. I mean we. It's relationships. No matter what kind of relationship they are, whether it's with an, an, whether it's between a non-disabled and a disabled person, they are they are symbiotic in that we use each other, and it's okay to use each yeah. other in a way that is not toxic. Right. And that's always my point is like, yeah, I do use the the people around me to get what I need. But I always try to make sure that I'm being reciprocal in some way. Like if I can provide, you know, emotional support, if I can provide a place to stay if someone needs it, if I can feed someone, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it. And I think that's what I think that going back to what we just talked about, how like Disabled people can take care of their lovers, too. I think it's important that people remember that we have the agency as disabled people to be like, like, I have a pull-out catch in my house that no one ever uses. And I'm constantly like, hey, if anybody needs a place to crash for the night or, like, somewhere to go or, like, just want to be with somebody if you're going through shit, I'm here. Like, I, and, like, I think I love the idea that I can take care of somebody, but I also love the idea of being, like, super independent. Like, I've made the choice like literally about a week and a half ago I made the choice to like not date to just have my needs met when they come about and I'm gonna be single and I'm gonna fucking love that and that's great um yeah yeah and I think that's great and I mean but it's also like kind of difficult too because like being in a relationship or in multiple relationships like I am you kind of have to convince yourself that that's okay too you know because before that I was in like back-to-back like abusive situations right and so I was single for like a good I think it was like a it was like a year okay and I and I sort of had to like tell myself that it was okay yeah I've reached that point I've reached that point in my in my in my singleness where I have to like remind myself it's so funny I went out I've been, I've been I went out the other day to like get to me in the store and as I'm walking to the store I'm seeing all these couples holding hands and I was like universe what are you doing to me like is are you are you are you trying to send me a sign that the decision I made is a bad like what are you doing I just made the decision of my brain that I'm okay with being alone and here's like all these happy young like it's it's fall time so it's university time right now so all the university students around where I live right. are like going out together and like holding hands and going to all the markets and all the things you do when you're like a a young couple. And I'm like, fuck universe. I just made the decision to be alone and single and happy and disabled. And here you are throwing the shit at me. So like, I get your need to like convince yourself that it's okay to be, it's all right to be alone and it's okay to be alone. And it's like, yeah, yeah. But you, but what I'm saying is like, you have to convince yourself that it's okay to be with someone too. 
as a disabled person, like, you have to be okay. Like, because, like I said before, with people coming up and saying all the shitty things to, like, to my face or to my partners or, you know, whatever, or, or, or the lovely, lovely times when we go out and people just assume that I'm not even with my partners. Like, they just assume that we're friends, even though we're, like, actively holding hands and, like, kissing and stuff. Yeah, that's always fun. Like, I, that, That's really fun. And so, like, convincing yourself to be okay and, like, be confident in the relationship that you have when other people are looking at you going, like, basically thinking to themselves that you don't deserve that. Do you, you, have, do you have any, like, do you, do you have any tools for how to convince yourself? Like, what did you do to convince yourself that it was okay to be in a relationship? Or, or did you just... Oh, it's still a struggle. Yeah, like, tell me more about that. I want to hear, like, what... Like, let's go so, through it. I think the biggest thing is just, like, letting go of, like, caring what society thinks, right? Because I was able to let go of think of caring of what society thought about me specifically a while ago. But it's always really hard when I think about my relationships with other people and, like, what people think because of the weight of that disability and also that transness. You know, because, like I said, I'm, you know, this AFAB non-binary person who still walks around wearing dresses and, and shit and people are like why are you even on testosterone if you're just gonna wear a dress you know what i mean and so because dresses are fucking comfortable first of all no, like i know let's review <laughs> but but so just like sort of like separating yourself from that societal viewpoint and then like because both of my partners are like conventionally attractive right okay so people People have this assumption that, like, all disabled people are, like, inherently ugly. Right. Well, right? I mean, it doesn't help that there are there were laws in place up until, like, 100 years ago that said that the we were ugly. The ugly laws, yeah. 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 So. And so just, just kind of letting that go and just kind of owning it when you're out in public with that person and, like, having faith in the relationship and having faith in the fact that they wouldn't be with you if they didn't love you, you know? And so, like, what what kind of ableist stuff did you have to overcome in your head when you were trying to get to that place where that was okay? Like, what did your, what did the ableist voice tell you? Oh, the ableist voice says the same things. I'm sure the ableist voice says to you that I'm too ugly, that I'm too much of a burden, that, like, people just can't see it. And, like, if they can't see it, then why am I even trying kind of thing? Like... You know, but one of my biggest, like, defenses against that is actually, like, being vain as fuck. Yes. Yes. Tell me more about this. Um, So, as you can probably see, I have a fuck ton of tattoos. I can see, and I like your tattoos. And, And I did that because I needed to have some control over my body, you know, in a way. And, um... And so whenever I start feeling like I'm ugly, I can always look down at my tattoos and yeah, and just remember that like those are beautiful and I put those on myself. So therefore, even if I'm having a bad body image day, I'm still beautiful because I've had this beautiful art put on me by a person who is very important to me, the majority of it. That's, um, that's amazing. And do you have any tattoos that are related to your disability experience? I I don't, but I but I I need some. I've been thinking about we that. We should have a discussion about that because I ha- every single and I'm gonna do a whole episode on my tattoos. So I'm not gonna do it all here, but I'll say that um, I'll say that in my experience of disability, every single tattoo that I have is related to disability in some way or another. And actually, that's a lie. I do have one that's related to my disability. I do. Yeah. Nice. Um, what is it? Tell me. It's, so it's a velociraptor. <laughs> Uh, and she's just like this very femme velociraptor she's like purple and she's got like pink nails and eyelashes and I got her because one time somebody was making fun of how I walked and said that I looked like I walked like a velociraptor and (laughs) yeah I'm laughing with you at how hilarious like how hilarious it is that you took that and made that a thing that's so fucking awesome well, it made me really sad for years, you know, for years. And then one day I was just like watching Jurassic Park or something. And I was like, those are actually cute. That's amazing. <laughs> I told somebody the other day that I, I told somebody the other day that I have T-Rex arms. And yeah. like he, they were like, oh, no. And I was like, no, no, it's true. I, my arms are kind of like a T-Rex because I can't really do much like other than with my hands. 
So I'm sort of like a T-Rex, and we just started laughing, which is, it was just funny. So now, yeah. I, now I feel like I should go get a big T-Rex like tattoo on my arm or something, on my body or something. Um, but I think that's I think it's really awesome how you have navigated all this stuff and how you've like dealt with. I think that in most interesting thing we've talked about so far is how you've met, how you've navigated both the dysphoria of transness and disability, because. Um, yeah. We don't hear that about that very often. Um, one of the things that I do want to touch on with you that I'm really curious about is you talk you talked a lot about in your questionnaire about your your desire for sex and what that's like for you. So tell me, as a disabled um, non-binary person um, and trans person, what is and a per- person with a disability, what is your because I know my desire for sex is rooted in a, in a lot of masculinity stuff, which I'm trying really hard to like, to like remove from my idea of what is desirable. But I'm curious, what does like sexual desire look like for you with all that stuff together? So for me, like it was always really difficult, right? Because like I always, so I was, I was raised in a really like my family was really conservative and really Catholic when I was growing up. And so, for a while, I was really ashamed of, like, any sexuality that I had. Like, I think I knew I was bisexual or gay or some form of queer by the time I was, like, nine. Amazing. And I was I, six. I, didn't, I didn't have a word for it, right? But I knew it. Um, and then when I was 12, my dad just fucking clocked me, Right. Because I had this friend that I was really close to, and she had just left, and I was, like, gushing about her. And my dad walked into the living room, and he was like, hey, are you gay? And I, like, I just cried for hours. It was so bad. And um, and so, like, I think, like, I started coming to terms with being bisexual at around 15, but then I backed really hard and I was like I'm a lesbian um and I think it was just like I always had a really high sex drive like always me too though tell me more about that god fucking irritating is what it is I know yep 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 (laughs) yep it's so bad and so because all you want to do is get off all the time and you can't because 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 all the time and the testosterone has done nothing but make it worse. Oh, no. Oh, it's, it's really bad. And um, and I just started a full dose. I was on a half dose, and now I'm on a full dose, and my body is like, <laughs> all the time. Um, but, yeah, so I always had a really high sex drive, but I wasn't allowed, like, I didn't feel like I was allowed to act on it because until I was about 15, I was still very religious. Okay. And so I felt like it was wrong for a while. And then after I stopped feeling like it was wrong, it was a situation where I would try to get laid <laughs> at like 16, 17. And people always had this like assumption of me because I had been so quiet and so nice for like years. They were just like, oh, well, they're quiet and they're nice but and they're disabled. So they must not want sex ever. You know, it's it's so funny because I feel like we should also get t-shirts that say, you must beware the quiet ones because... The quiet ones always want to fuck. The quiet, yeah. Like, I was the quiet one and inside I was like, I want to sleep with you. I want to do things to you that are dirty. I want to be inappropriate with you over here. Like, I, I'm the quiet ones, especially the quiet disabled ones. We are the, like, beware of us. Yeah, like the kinkiest, weirdest, like... The most fucked yeah. up, but the best laid. I just can't. And so, yeah, and so I, I was always, like, any time that I wanted to have sex with someone, I remember one time I finally got up the courage and, like, asked out this guy that I wanted to ask out, and he, like, laughed at me. Oh. And it was so bad. And, and so, like, I kind of pushed it down, you know. I didn't have I, – I, I was, like, 21 when I had sex finally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 21. And, uh – and so I, I had gotten to this point in my life where I was like, I'm just never going to get late. Sigh. Meh. Um, but I think it, like, kind of became, like, for a while I just wanted to be accepted by people. But at the same time, like, 
I started having like, I was wondering if I was maybe demisexual because every time I would finally set something up with someone, especially if it was like a cis dude, I would always back out. Oh, what do you think that was like your like your body trying to tell you something? I don't know. I think that I was well, you know, men like as I said, my experience sexually with men has been that they are violent. Okay. Right? Like emotionally violent. And I think that I already knew that. And I was like, No, 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 you know? And so it just like became this thing where I like wouldn't have sex because I was so worried about my own safety. You know? Just yeah. like, even from a standpoint of like, if you tell someone, oh, don't fuck me in that position because it hurts. And then they do it anyway, kind of thing. That's shitty. That's like goes against you know? all the consent principles. We, like, yeah. Gross. It does. Yeah. It does. Well, but like, sorry that happened to you. Little college frat boys in Georgia don't give a damn. I mean, so. Like, I used to think they were hot, but now all of a sudden my like fantasy has been. No, ew. Yeah, so, you know, or or just, like, not understanding. I think that was, like, the biggest thing was, like, people not being understanding of, like, I have a really high sex drive and I'd like to fool around, but I don't want to go all the way because I'm in pain right now. Yeah, and people not realizing like that sex doesn't have to be... Sex, sex can be a hot makeup session and then we can be done. Sex can be, like, some touching or heavy petting. Sex can be, I want to lie with you naked and do nothing to... I don't want to touch you. I want you to just be there. Like, right. disability allows for sex to be such an open-ended thing. And I think non-disabled people don't realize how, like, especially if you're saying you're in pain, sometimes I don't really want to be fully penetrated or fully penetrated. I want somebody to just be there with me. Right. With their, yeah. with their like, naked body and to feel that moment with me. That's more powerful than we had all the sex and then we came seven times like no what if i just want to be with you right and i think that might have fed into a lot of why i thought i was a lesbian for a really long time because like girls were more like whenever i was with girls it was less pressure to like have sex yeah you know and girls also understood that sex didn't have to mean penetration yeah which is really, I think I discovered, like, that I actually really prefer, like, oral sex. Like, both giving and receiving is, like, much better for me than anything else. Me too, though. Ding, 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 so, ding, 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 ding. Hey. So, yeah, so that was that was great. And I think, yeah, I think that fed a lot into why I thought I was a lesbian for a really long time. Um, but, at the, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm still gay as hell because I love I, you know, people are always on online being like mask for mask, and I'm always like huh, femme for femme. Don't fuck with me. Yeah, so. right. The mask for mask thing is so ridiculous. Like, I like I I'm mask for mascara is my jam. That's 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 me. Yeah. And like I, I I like to play with that shit because I think it's so mask for mask is so rooted in like this really toxic masculinity bullshit like fuck off i think some people are some of the strongest people that i've met because they're like i don't give a fuck what you think i'm gonna be myself at the end yeah and it's all about i mean like being you know the understanding that you can be both soft and strong and i mean when you're disabled there's an idea that you have to be so strong all the time to overcome so for me as a disabled man all of those femme things that I love to do. Like, I love, I love, like, makeup. I love dressing up. I love, like, I, and I know it, as I'm saying it, it sounds super cliche as I'm saying it, but it's totally yeah. true. Yeah. Like, no, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. I love doing all that stuff. And I, like, I love, it's funny. I was with my mom shopping yesterday and we were just shopping in a, in a shopping center. And I was like, I like this. I like shopping. I like, and I just re like realized how that little moment was, like, really rooted in my, like, Femme identity, like I like my mom likes to go go get little like nothing things, and she likes to go around like the makeup counters and like a perfume and do it. And I was like, that's so cute. Oh, yeah. I'm into this, and I'm totally here for all of this. And so like, I think disability allows for us to 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 consider our femme our femme sides way more. But yeah, but then society doesn't allow us to because they're like, no, no. You have well, to but 
I, I feel like being disabled also fed into being femme because, like I said, it's like, you know, when you're femme, you can be soft and strong. And, like, the thing is, when you are disabled, you're right. People want you to be strong. But they also want you to be a saint. Yeah. Right? Like, they don't ever want to see you be upset. They don't ever want to see you get mad. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, if and you... they want you to be grateful for every tiny fucking thing. And if you do get mad, it has to be about how, like, it has to be about some something other than your body or your sexuality. You should be mad about access, and you should be mad about very particular things. Right. But if you were to do anything about, if you were to get mad about how you're treated about your body, then you can't get mad about that, because, because everybody's body is special, blah, 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 like, ew. Oh, God. Ooh. Ooh. Um, and so I think like being a femme is kind of like taking back that that softness for myself. Like rather than being soft for other people's benefit, I'm being soft in the like I'm not being soft in the ways they want me to be. I'm being soft in the ways that benefit me. As in being like a better listener. As in like being more caring and being more open and being gentle with myself, which is the most important thing that I have learned I this like- year. I like that part. And so as a disabled person who has a high sex drive and who gets fucked around by people because of that and owning that, how do you be, how are you gentle with yourself? Um, I think I just like, if I have a negative thought about myself, I always try to like take a deep breath. You know, people say that you should always counter it with a positive thought, but I always try to like take a deep breath and sort of sit with it for a second. Yeah, I was just, just going to say like sitting with it is a lot more powerful than trying to counter it right away. Right. And just allowing it to be an emotion and realizing that like, okay, I'm having this emotion that's negative about myself, but why am I having this emotion? And just sort of, I think being okay with not liking something about yourself like being okay with that and then after you sit with it and after you think about it and after you sort of process it then you go okay why do I think that where is that coming from and how can I counter that in a healthy way yeah Yeah. no that's awesome and so like do you ever get depressed about the languages the the connection between sex and disability because I know I do like oh my god like yeah it's a it's a constant struggle the struggle is real every day and so I'm glad to hear you do because welcome to the club. You're going to get your handbook in six to eight weeks. Um, and right. so, <laughs> right. And so, but how do you, how do you manage that, that situational depression around disability and sexuality? Um, I, I just, you know, like I said, I kind of, I stopped having sex, like casual sex with people. Cause I, that was annoying. Um, and so now when I, when I do, have sex it's like very it's a lot better um because the people that i'm having sex with are, are understanding of like like they may not understand everything about my disability but they're very understanding if i say oh i need to stop or oh i need to change your position or oh, whatever whatever um and a lot of times it's like because i am also getting more into like bdsm like whenever you do bdsm you have a conversation of like parameters beforehand and I have found that technique to be very uh, useful to disability as well. Even if you're not going to do a scene with any kink, it's still very useful to check in beforehand and say, how are you feeling? What's your body doing? Yeah, totally. And I refer to that in my work, in my life as storyboarding your sex. How do you, first of all, what do you, what do you call it? And how does it, can you like, can you like illustrate that for us? What does that look like for you? Just like like storyboarding, storyboarding like a sexual encounter, or no, like storyboarding or, the conversation like beforehand, like like. Yeah, I, I think it's just about talking. I mean, it's like the same things as BDSM, right? Like, what kind of mood are you in? How do you want to feel? What what are the personal limits of your body? Like, and it's and it's good. Like, even if your partner is able bodied, it's still good to check in because like. You know, I have partners that have mental illness. I've had partners, you know, everyone has their thing, even if they're able-bodied, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just good for everybody to just be like, hey, what do you want to get out of this right now? You know? That's awesome. It's such a simple question. And it's so, but it's so direct and to the point. And I don't think we, like, even when I storyboard, I haven't asked it that directly. And I think I might start asking, like, hey, 
what do you want to get out of this piano with me right now? Like, I think yeah. that's, I think, I think it's so simple and it, it just answers so many questions. Like, it's just so like, boom, what do you want right now? Do you want my body? Do you want more of an emotional thing? Like, and so like, like I'm going to start using that in, in what I do. So thank you for sharing that part. Yeah, that's good, that's good. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you also about one of the things that you mentioned in your questionnaire is you're, you're fetishized a lot because of the disability and because of all those things. And so that is leading you into thinking about wanting to engage in sex work. Now, before we hit record, you had mentioned that you don't currently do sex work, but it's something you're thinking about. Now, it's something that, I, that I've thought about too, and I'm... I'm toying with the idea in my head as well. It's something that I've been playing with in my head for a while now. But I'm curious to hear kind of your, where that came from, your thought process, like what that means for you as a disabled trans person. So for me, like I, I would never want to do like escorting or anything of that nature because I feel like that would be too dangerous for me. Okay. Um, and to, like I said, I don't like allowing people that I don't know to interact with my body. Yeah. Um, because that is my space and they're not going to respect it. And so they don't get to touch me anymore. Um, but I am very into the idea of uh, like running kink demonstrations, kink workshops for people with disabilities and for people who have partners who are disabled. Um, and so I uh, think that, that that would be really cool. Okay, so less like the traditional idea of sex work. Well, I also want to do, I mean, because I am fetishized, I also want to do, like, pictures and videos. And um, I also want to, uh, like, I'm interested in making porn with people that I trust. Amazing. Like, you know, other queer trans people. Yeah. Other yeah. disabled people. Yeah. And I know Crashpad has done some really cool stuff. And they're, they're, they're an indie porn company, and they've done really cool stuff around trans queerness and disability um so mm -hmm. when the mood strikes you to do that uh you should look them up because they i know they do great work and i love what you said in your um questionnaire you're like basically if someone's going to be trash they should be paying me and other queer disabled folks to do so so i think that's awesome so like you so like you're comfortable being fetishized and being like basically treated like how everybody treats you if they pay you um, yeah, I mean, I, I still fucking hate it, but, like, that's how capitalism works, right? Yeah, I know. Is, is you sell your soul to get money. So, you know, if people are already going to do it, like, I, the thing is, is I don't ever want that situation that I told you about before where the guy, well, you know, we had sex and it was great and he was nice and then he said, wow, I've had sex with a disabled person now. That's great. I, I don't ever want that to happen again. Yeah. Like, I, but it, it's, and, you know, as you say that now, I'm thinking, like, there have been times where I've put myself on someone's bucket list. Like, so I've, I've had somebody say that to me, like, like, oh, I've, you're my first disabled person. And I'll be like, yep, good, check that box off. And I was the best. Like, because people, yeah. people are going to think that anyway. So I have to find ways to, like, make myself comfortable with the fact that they're going to fetishize me, which is why I would be like, cool but i'm the best one and if you sleep with another disabled person you're gonna regret it because they won't be as good like finding yeah. way, ways to be okay with their super ableist thing they said mm -hmm. but i think that that's like the where the desire to like take pictures and do gifts and do like porn comes from is like i'll still give you what you want like if you want to fetishize my body you want to look at me you're interested in how my body works and you want to fantasize about that you go ahead but you can pay me and you're not allowed to touch me. Like, I'm sorry. Like. So really it's a way of you owning your identity in a yeah. safe space for you, which I think is totally valid and fair. I think the way that disabled people have been touched by non-disabled people in both violent and non-violent ways or seemingly non-violent ways has been really ableist. And so I think you taking agency that way is really important for yeah. you as a disabled person, especially as a disabled non-binary trans person um i think that's yeah. really really important uh but I, th I in terms of like workshops and stuff i think running workshops for trans disabled folk and with trans disabled folk around kink is super valuable 
uh, I know of some people that I, we should talk about that I can connect you to because that would be great. Workshops, yeah, I would love that. Workshops are, are first of all, they're they're shit pain to produce and do, but having them out there is like, and I know because I do them, so <laughs> it's it's they're fun, but like wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I've been a teacher for over a year now. So for me, it's just sort of like, yeah, there is a shit show to put together. But every day at my job is a shit show. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. So, you know, at I, least it's more fun. Yeah. It's more fun to teach kink. How do you how do you feel being all these identities as a teacher? Like, how does just curious, totally off topic. How does that, <laughs> how does that feel? Uh, I can't be myself. Oh. At all, at all, it it sucks, you know. Like, I I am open with a couple of people about but, who who I actually am, but everybody else just like I just, you know, I go to work and like, yeah, I'm allowed to show my tattoos and like wear my piercings and stuff, but other than that, like, I just don't I don't talk about, um, I just don't talk about the stuff. That's rough because like yeah. that's such a part of who you are and it's clear that it's a part of who you are. Like I can tell just from talking with you for the last hour, like if you if you had to go into a space and not express that, it would be really tough. Yeah, it is and I hate it. So um so hopefully I won't have to do that forever. But you know, it's it's um I mean, but the good thing about it is I did discover that I enjoy teaching, you know. Um, but this is just not, you know, I would rather be teaching kink. I would rather be teaching art. I would rather be, I want to work with people who are like me because those are the people that are important to me. And I don't, if I can help it, if I can be like that queer, queer guiding, I don't know. I don't want to say elder cause I'm like 26. Go on, say elder. But you know what I mean? I want to be that person that like. You want to be the person who you needed when you were 15. Yeah. 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 I, I feel that pretty hard in what I do. So I think I, this is such a great conversation. I loved talking to you because it went in like places that I wasn't expecting it to go, which is awesome. Um, and it was just really fun. It was I love having conversations with guests that is just easy. And this was a really easy, flowy conversation that didn't, that didn't involve a lot of like, okay, let's move to this question. Like, it was really just, easy so so i appreciate that's, that that's great yeah um is and so how do how do people get a hold of you aspen like how can they reach out to you tell <sighs> tell the audience how to do that so i am in the middle of updating all of my social media because god help me i just have not and um until like last month my website was still under my dead name so um but you can you can find me. I have an Instagram that's just under my name. It's Aspen underscore Bennett. Um, and then Aspen is just spelled with a Y instead of an E. Um, and I'm on Instagram a lot. So if anybody like private messages me or whatever, I'm also on Facebook. Um, so you can look me up under my name or um, Lavender Femme, which is my performance name. And that is also the name of my website. So you can find me on either of those three places amazing and i'll make sure to put that in the show notes so everybody can follow you um aspen it was such a awesome fun time talking to you thank you so much for coming on today yeah thanks all right friend we will talk super soon thank you so much for being on disability after dark and bye bye all right so that's another episode of disability after dark the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing, you help support content made but made 
buy-in for people with disabilities, so I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time, right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Udiucci. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.